Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 3. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for your word. Your word is life and health unto all that find it, and it's healing to all their flesh. This morning, Father, we celebrate the great love of your Son, Jesus Christ, for each and every one of us. We praise you, Father, that the entrance of your word brings light. It brings understanding to the simple. We praise you that today, Father, we have the full measure of your spirit living within us. You said that in Colossians. You said that we in Christ are filled with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I praise you today, Father, for the word of God gaining entrance into our hearts. And again, we declare that that is the truth, that you said your word is light. And again, if we would just keep hearing the simplicity of that, light always dispels darkness. The more light we let into us, the more darkness has to go. Darkness cannot stay where light is. So help us really understand that. You said your word is light. You said the entrance of your word brings light. So, Father, please help us bring more and more and more word into us. You said, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Let the word of God dwell richly in you in abundance. So thank you, Father, that we continue to train our spirit and renew our mind and, and consecrate our bodies to you, Father, in such a way that we can bring honor to heaven and be used by you in Jesus' name. And help us, Father, as we look more into this wonderful redemptive promise of yours of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, this is hour number three in God's will for healing. And like all of these courses that we're doing, they're eight hours in length, which means that it's an overview. Anything that's only eight hours long is an overview, trust me, because God's wisdom is so, so finite or rather infinite that it, it can't be you know, put into any area of any arena of text that takes only eight hours. So I hope we just continue to think about that. Now, last week, we finished um, here on page two, which is still on lesson one, when we talked about uh, Isaiah 53. We spoke about, you don't have to turn there, but where, of course, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus Christ, when he came, I'll just read it again, it said that he was despised, he was rejected of men, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, it says, and we esteemed him not. In other words, we didn't know who he was. This is what Isaiah prophesied uh, some thousand, twelve hundred years before Christ came. And you actually think about a thousand years before the man came. Uh, God spoke by his spirit to this prophet and said, when this man does come, people won't esteem him for who he really is. He said, surely we, he hath, but surely he hath borne our griefs. And we spoke about how the word born is this word that's a Levitical word that applies to the scapegoat. And Jesus is like the scapegoat. He's the type of that that you find in Leviticus chapter 16. But it said that surely he bore our griefs and he did carry our sorrows. And again, you look at those words, griefs and sorrows, and talk about sicknesses and pain. That's literally how they're translated. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded. He was wounded for, he was wounded for 
our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. In other words, in the Amplified, it says the chastisement necessary for us to have peace was upon him. And with his stripes, it says we are healed. And we jumped down, we saw that that was actually fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus is, again, every place you see this, Jesus healed all that were sick. But Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 said, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. And there again, the New Testament very adequate, adequately translates Isaiah 53 from griefs and sorrows to infirmities and sicknesses. Now, we left off of that. We talked a little bit about the old Passover, but let's turn to 1 Corinthians. This is where we left at 1 Corinthians 11, which is actually the, we'll go over this in Blood Covenant too, but 1 Corinthians 11 is the chapter where, they, uh, where we celebrate communion, speak about communion. But let's look at that again, because of course this communion table that we have at church sometimes, of course, is a celebration of the, basically the Passover truth that you see in Exodus 12. And we spoke about how in Exodus 12, it's remarkable to think it's some two million Israelites coming out from being under the harsh. Now really think about this. I don't want to move so fast. I don't know if your minds are engaged yet this morning. But let's do our best to not be distracted and try to get our minds engaged as quickly as we can and really, you know, really attach somehow, let there be an umbilical cord attached from our souls and our spirits to this word. That, you know, some two million people, I mean, use your brain. God gave you a brain, use it. Use the thing and think about these things, even with lo human logics, how some two million people, two million people under harsh taskmasters can come out overnight overnight and there be not one in the testimony be that there was not one feeble, not one feeble, not one feeble amongst them. To me, that's inc just incredible to con to that something so supernatural happened when they consumed that Passover lamb, that it affected not only their spirit and their soul, but their bodies. I mean, they were made whole, had to have been. And again, you see a testimony that in fact, even here, when you, if you, if you really consider what chapter 11 is speaking to. So I'm going to start, um, uh, I'm going to start actually in, in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, most people, again, uh, when, you, when you serve communion, they always just read the, f the few verses starting around verse 23. But I want you to see it more in context. This is the Amplified Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Paul said, but in what I instruct you next, I do not commend you, he said, because when you're meeting together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now just stop right there and catch that statement. To me, this is, <laughs> is mind-blowing. This is an apostle, the apostle under Christ, probably you know, the chief apostle that ever walked the earth except under, you know, under the Lord Jesus Christ. But think what he's speaking. He's talking to a church and the setting is, he's referring to communion, uh, celebrating the Lord's death and his resurrection. And he starts by making this statement. He said, and the thing I'm going to talk to you about next, he said, I'm not commending you. I'm not patting you on the back. He said, because you're coming together all right in church. Let's, if we put it in today's parlance, you're coming together. But he said, when you come together, it's not for the better, 
it's actually for the worse. <laughs> why? I mean, why think about it? He's, he's saying, well, you guys think you're coming together and producing good. He said, because of what he's about to say, he said, you're really coming together for the worse if you come together under this thing. He said, for in the first, and then he, he describes what he speaks to here. He said, for in the first place, when you assemble, when you're assembling as a congregation, he said, I'm hearing that there are cliques or divisions or factions, in other words, strife amongst you. And he said, I in part believe it, verse 19, for doubtless there have to be factions or parties among you in order that they who are genuine and approved fitness and of approved fitness may become evident and plainly recognized among you. So when you gather for your meetings, this really hear this, when you gather for your meetings, it's not the, the supper instituted by the Lord that you're eating. In other words, like we'd say today, if this stuff is in your midst, all these factions and these divisions, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're about to celebrate. You're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. He said, for in eating, each one is hurrying to get his own supper first, not waiting for the poor. And one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? Verse 22 starts with this real, this strong statement. He says, what? Do you have no houses in which to eat and drink. In other words, if you're just coming together for a party, he said, you're missing the whole issue of what the Passover is about. You can have a regular meal anytime you want at home. But this, he said, is indicative of something so holy to the church that is to never be profane because of what it represents and because of what it can produce and what, it, and I'm telling you, what it can produce positively or negatively, really. He said, do you have no houses in which to eat and drink or do you despise the church of God? If you can hear what I'm saying there, when he says that, he's saying, are, are, you, are you totally not understanding what the whole church is built upon? The whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built upon the revelation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Him being the Passover lamb. Again, in the sixth chapter, back four chapters, five chapters before that, he said, Jesus Christ, our Passover is crucified or is, or is sacrificed for us. He said, or do you despise the church of God and mean to show contempt for it while you humiliate those who are poor and have no homes and have brought no food? What shall I say to you? Shall I command, commend you in this? And he said, no, most certainly I will not. For I received from the Lord himself that which I passed on to you. It was given to me personally to the Lord Jesus on the night when he was treacherously delivered up and while his betrayal was yet in progress, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, this bread, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to call me. I like to, I, I'd almost like to stop right there because of what can happen in the midst of communion. Do this to call me. You ever needed to call somebody? I mean, you're hopefully the, the, hoping they would show up. I'm telling you, I have had Jesus Christ show up in my life in communion, probably as much as any time in my life because, of, uh, because I take communion at home often as God instructs me to. I mean, you don't have to just do it on a Sunday. You know, you, every one of you that are in covenant with God can take communion anytime they want. But again, you don't want to just do it to be religious. 
you need to understand what we're about to get, like it says here, why you're doing what you're doing. But I, I, these words like that would stop me years ago. Do this to call me. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever needed to call upon the Lord, but I have. So anyhow, I mean, of course, I know that you have. But he said, do this to call me affectionately to remembrance. Similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup also saying, this cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant ratified, he said, and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to call me affectionately to remembrance. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing, or again, as we like to say, re-presenting, presenting once again. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing and you're signifying and you're proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. So then, and then, whoever, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him, and again, I've said it several times, in both the courses we're in right now, the word in the King James is unworthily. Whoever partakes of this unworthily, and the word unworthily means to, quote, not esteem the value of what you're doing. He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him will be guilty of profaning and sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, before anybody panics, like I said, if we've all done that, if you've done it, just repent, say, in Jesus' name, forgive me. And the next time you take communion, you stop. I don't care what they're doing in church, but you stop, close your eyes as hard as you can and think about it for a moment. You don't have to advertise to everybody how super spiritual you're being. Do you hear me? <laughs> just stop. And as, as, as for yourself, say, I, I, I'm gonna think on this. Because he said, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him will be guilty of profaning and sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man thoroughly examine himself. And only, it says only, and I mean, you know, what do you do with this? And only when he has done so, so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, that, that's what the scripture says, doesn't it? Does it say something like that in your Bibles? I mean, this is why I, like I said, some of the pastors that I do work with, when they really want me to work with them, one of the first things I take them to is this, and I say, I, you know, you need to understand the seriousness of this. You need to, because of what, I said, you know, what are you gonna, what do you do, take this, what do you do, take this passage and throw it out of the Bible? Because you all serve communion to your people. How many times have you taught them on communion? Now, I'm not talking about scaring people. I'm not talking about being nuts, but I'm just saying you need, it's, you know, as an, as an under shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to teach people about the blood and to teach people about the body and, and what it actually represents, this whole thing, this covenant sacrifice, all this stuff that, you know, just blows my mind that so many people are just seemingly so totally unaware of. But, he, but again, all I want you to see for today as we read through this, what it says, it says, only when he's done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. For anyone 
who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. Representative of this covenant, you see, that, we're gonna, that we keep talking about in the other course. Anybody who eats or drinks without recognizing with due appreciation that it's Christ's body eats and drinks a sentence, a verdict of judgment upon himself. What it means by that is because you actually, by partaking of this, are making a declaration of your agreement with it. And then to step from that table and begin to speak against others or to, you know, whatever, enter into divisions and factions and strifes and stuff like that is to, is to violate the very principle of what the, whole, what the whole thing stands for. The whole issue of this is that we have now been joined and become one spirit with the Lord. And again, this, and then it's verse 30, like I said, that we're just uh, centering in on because we're teaching on healing. It just categorically says that careless, that careless and unworthy, in other words, not knowing what you're doing, that careless and unworthy participation, and it just says, is the reason, is the reason many of you are weak and sickly and quite enough of you have fallen asleep, fallen rather into the sleep of death. In other words, it means you di they died prematurely. Now, to me, that just screams out in, in importance. It just, I mean, you can't say that scripture is not there. It's there. It says that's the reason. So, you see, this, this passage of scripture, like I said, is one of those fulcrum scriptures. It's one of those hinges that so much, so much, so much depends upon in all of scriptural understanding is the right revelation of what Jesus Christ really came to do and who he really was as far as him being the Passover <coughs> lamb. And then, like I said, you see, that connects again the whole thing, Passover to the covenant that God's cut with us through his blood. All of this stuff to me, I just get so, uh, I, and I, I, again, I'm, ho I'm hoping I'm not coming across because I'm sure not trying to sit here like I know everything, but this is so important. We need to write, and nobody's perfect. Now, again, let's throw this in real quick. Like you've, we say this over and over again too. Nobody has to have perfect understanding because nobody ever will have perfect understanding. But what we need to have is at least an absolute awareness and this is why on a daily, 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 daily uh, affair of life, we come before the Lord thanking him that his mercies are brand new every single morning, that his grace and his compassion towards us and is so strong. I mean, if there's one thing that I love, like we were talking about the Christ the Healer earlier, and I'll read a few things from Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. I loved in particular the, the chapter on, how, on compassion, how the Lord was moved with compassion and healed all their sick. And, and again, you think about if, if, per, if people had to be perfectly in order before God would move, well, nobody would have ever gotten healed because you've got multitudes and multitudes of people that have all kinds of things going on in their lives. And many of them, to say the least, and this is before Christ has even died and raised from the dead, so they're not believers. And one of the questions people always ask is, will God heal a sinner? <laughs> well, you know, and I just start to laugh. Well, I mean... To, to tell me somebody who wasn't a sinner that Jesus healed, <laughs> if you know what I mean. We're all sinners. I don't care who we are, God. So, and, and some people get, yes, sin will, will, can stop some things, but what I'm trying to say is some people make this blanket statement that if you have sin in your life, God won't heal you. 
Well, show me somebody who doesn't have some sin in their life. You see what I'm trying to say? Is, is there's, there's no such thing as an individual today. I don't care how holy they appear that doesn't have some area where they're missing the mark. Remember, sin is just an archery term that means to miss the mark. You haven't come up to par. Anyhow, so that, this is an incredibly important thing. So we want to esteem this. Now let's just jump back to the outline. I'm just going to quote for, it's on the outline here on page two. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24 is one that we quote so often. But it says again, speaking of Jesus and what he did, it says, we're looking at the New Testament proofs now as we go into this. It says, Jesus who his own self, it says, he bare our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, even as we do that, I want you to keep this in remembrance all through scripture. We'll get to this hopefully. Well, maybe, I don't know if we'll get to it in detail, but wherever there's forgiveness, there's healing. And wherever there's healing, there's forgiveness for this because the same power that forgives is the same power that heals. And again, this is what I like. I know what changed my life so much is when I really, 20 some years ago, really got a hold of the fact like, how quickly does God want to forgive me? I mean, really, how quickly will God forgive you? And again, if you have a problem with thinking about that, you have to always ask yourself a question about when you minister that to somebody else, when you're trying to help them and they've made a mistake. And you have, again, remember, you surely have no, uh, if you've been around the things of God at all, you, you don't have any problem at all just putting your hand on somebody's back and saying, just ask the Lord to forgive you and he will forgive you. And you say it with full faith because you know that the Lord will forgive you. You can't explain it all, but you know that he will. He's just a free, that's his nature. It's his nature. He's is love. You see, he will forgive anybody who'll come unto him. Well, because it's the same God, the same body, the same sacrifice, the same compassion, the same nature, you see, the same price that was paid to get our forgiveness of sin, which is the thing that will usher you into heaven, is the same thing that will heal your body. So surely if you'll do one, he'll do the other. Right? Just say yes, because it's yes. true. <laughs> The issue, though, the problem comes in is one is affects your spirit and is not as easily felt, field, what have you. But the other, this thing about physical healing is on the outside. And again, we don't feel it. We don't feel it. We don't feel it. So we don't think it's working. But anyhow, let's move ahead now. So there's just the summary of that is that the atonement of Christ provides healing for us. It's all through the Old Testament. It came by faith in the coming atonement. And again, 1 Peter 2.24 definitely refers to physical healing. Now, if you turn the page to where it says lesson two, the origin of sickness, we have to look at this a moment uh, because of the principle that is here, the origin. When did sickness actually come in? Well, we know that when God created man, Genesis 1, verse 26 to 31, we'll just read it. It's on the outline real quickly. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. 
And God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was good, and then evening and the morning were the sixth day. So basically we're just saying God created everything good. There was no sickness or disease in the beginning of creation. You've heard me share this before, but it's something I always remember. You can see that the perfect will of God, the perfect will of God is found in three places. In the garden before the fall, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and in heaven today. That's where the three, in other words, if you want to see the perfect will of God, if you want to see the will of God unhindered, you see it before the fall, in the life of Jesus Christ, and in heaven today. So before the fall, there was no sickness or disease, was there? I mean, there just, it's, it, it, there just wasn't. But then, of course, Satan comes in with his lies, and he begins to deceive. Um, Genesis 2.17 uh, is when God gave them instruction. He gave Adam and Eve this instruction. He said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest there, thou shalt surely die. Now, I've got down there point A, and I'm not sure if it says that in the, King, in the Amplified or not. Don't have it open to it. But I know definitely in the lexicons that the, actually what it says is just that. It says, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, dying, you shall die. And so what happens is the moment mankind, now, now you got to hear this, original sin is where this statement comes up. The moment man disobeyed God, he said that dying would begin. Dying would begin, that dying, you would die. Now, why I want you to hear that is because it's very important to you to understand that death came progressively. You hear me? Now, I've got something here from some, another lesson that I do when I, uh, when I, uh, about something else, but you remember how old people used to live. And uh, listen, in, the, in the first 2,000 years, uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, there are 10 people who lived the span of 2,000 years from the time of creation to the time of Abraham. And it's amazing when you actually add up their years and you see how long they last. Adam, Adam lived, now think about this, Adam lived 930 years. Now, I know we can say that real glibly, but think about this. Some of you have not even lived 25 years yet. So, but think if you've lived 40 years, or like I've lived, you know, I'm, I'm 57, 58. Think about the fact, I mean, you're 50 years. I think about everything I've experienced in 50 years. I mean, or, or whatever, but I'm saying like, you know, how many, if you're 25 years old, that's four into 100 is four times. So nine times four, what's that? Yeah. Think about that. So everything if you, you've experienced in 25 years, everything, every daily experience, think about 36 times that. I mean, think about 930 years of life walking on this planet, 930 years. Now, that's Adam. Seth, his son, lived 912 years. Enosh lived 905 years. Enosh's son, Kenan, lived 910 years. Mahalil, who was Kenan's son, lived 895 years. And uh, Mahalil's son was Jared. Jared lived 962 years. Then there was Enoch. Enoch only lived 365 years because the Lord took him. His son was Methuselah, of course, who was the oldest, who lived 969 years, almost 1,000 years. 
His son was Lamech, who lived 777 years. His son was Noah, who lived 950 years. It was only after you see the fall that death began. But what I'm trying to say by that is when you really look at the years, do you, do you understand? Dying, you shall die. The human body, think about this, had to learn how to die. You've got to think this through. They were created in the image and in the likeness of Almighty God. Sin entered into them, or death rather entered in, as we're going to get down here to in Romans. Death, well, in fact, just go ahead and turn the page because you, I don't have to read how. But the point is, spiritual death would come before spiritual death, before physical death. And let me just, even though I've got on the outline, just turn to Romans anyhow. Let me just read it from Romans 5. Uh, Romans 5.12 is where it says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death as the result of what? If you have your Bible, what does it say? Death came as a result of sin. Right? Right? That's what it says. Just say yes anyhow. <laughs> Thank you. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death through the result of sin, so death spread to all men, no one being able to stop it or to escape its power because all men <coughs> sin. But the point I want you to hear as we begin this part today is just that death entered the moment Adam rebelled against God and sin, death did enter. Something absolutely foreign to the physical human body began in spirit form. But it took 930 years for it to work outwardly to the point that it caused that body that was made in the likeness and the image of God to die. Because you have to understand, man wasn't made to die. They were made to live, and they would have lived forever without sin. So why is this so important? Like I said, you go through all this. I just want you to keep hearing that statement. The physical body literally had to learn how to die. There was so little sin compared to so much of God at that moment that man's bodies lived. I mean, it was a common thing living 700, 800 years. We, you know, it lists the patriarchs here, but you have to understand their wives were living 800 years. Their children were living 800 years. That's what this list is. Do you understand? That was normal until after, like I said, the flood. And after the flood, because of the sin that had just how sin, I mean, this is amazing. Right up to the point of the flood, remember, when the whole earth was so filled with unrighteousness, is why God had to come and destroy the, what's called the pre-Andalusian world. He, he had to destroy it because it was so full of sin, but those people were still 800 years old, 700 years old, what have you. But at the end of that, after the flood, is when then God gave this statement. He said, from this point on, he said, your years will be 120. He said, you'll be able to live around 120 years. 
I don't have any reasons for it. I don't know why. All I know is this. this is the, see, and I don't want you to get caught up in some tangent. What I want you to see, though, is that God made bodies to live. Sin, when sin entered the body, dying you shall die, it began a progression of an outward manifestation of death in some form, shape, or whatever, through disease or sickness or what have you. But again, see, it's called the law of reciprocals in Scripture. You've got to see death enters. Now, if we were to go and read, but I taught grace the first month, and so we're not going to teach that again. But if you were to go back, this is the point now. You've got to understand, this is why some people are so miracle-minded. Remember, we talked about this before. They're so miracle-minded, they don't understand. When you receive God's truth, living, you shall live. I said, living, you shall live. But you have to keep the, just see if you can see, if you can agree with it on the negative, you need to agree with it on the positive. If you can see how death began to work, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. That the progressive, the progressive work of sin caused an outward, uh, where the cellular structure of bodies began to, 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 to corrupt and be corrupted and what have you and stuff happened in the body. It began, but see the whole principle is this. We now are in a process where we can begin to retrain our bodies or reintroduce something far stronger than death into our bodies. We can reintroduce the very life of God. But again, because you don't see something maybe instantaneously manifest itself, don't get distracted. Because you don't see something instantaneously manifest itself, you can get caught up in thinking nothing is working. But how, you know, but why do people have such great faith in sin? They're so busy worrying about some sin. They, I mean, people have greater faith in sin than they do in the almighty power of almighty God and the power of God's word gaining entrance into their lives. The moment the word of God comes into your spirit, life begins to flow. Hallelujah. I mean, please see that. You've got to, this way, you've got to live by faith. You've got to see these things through the eye of your spirit and understand how these things work. God's word brings life and brings light. When you believe God's word, I love that scripture. I don't remember where it is right now in the Amplified Bible, but it's a scripture that says, uh, uh, God is all the while at work within you, both to, to do and the will of his good pleasure. But in the Amplified Bible, it says, God's word is all the while at work exercising its superhuman power in those who believe. I just love that. I, I get such a picture every time I see that of God's word. As long as I believe, as long as I've just got my faith out there, I, I believe God. I choose. And belief is a choice. It's not just something that overwhelms me. And I, you know, I, I, I choose to believe God every day. So you've got to get past that too. It's not a matter of something that's taking you over and you're just this walking walking faith capsule. <laughs> no, listen, every single day of our lives, remember, we're attacked with stuff. He said, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. This stuff comes at me, it comes at you, it comes at us every single day, every single day. But the point is, I put my faith out there and I say, no, Jesus Christ did the same thing. Remember, it says, it's the thing in all the scripture, I tell you over and over again, Goliath presented himself every single day, every single day, every single day, every single day. Satan came at Jesus. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. God help us 
start saying it is written, but you need to know what is written. Otherwise, it doesn't do any good. It's the oldest of illustrations. You can have a hundred Bibles in your house and it produces no good whatsoever. It's the only, the only thing that produces any good is a scripture that you have in your heart, okay? So you need to see that. So basically then if you look at it, so they said, it said sin, it said dying, you shall die. And if you can just turn that around and say living, you shall live. So sin entered, then death. Sickness produces death because death's origin was sin. Now, uh, so we know that Satan is the author of sickness. Now, before you freak out about that, though, because automatically people will say something. I, I want to read just a quote I've actually written in my Bible here from uh, Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. Uh, if we were to go through and read all of Romans 5 again about the fact that if we were to read further, well, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll just read the few, few verses and try not to get hung up on them. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death as a result of sin, so death spread to all men, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, because all men sin. To be sure, sin was in the world before ever the law was given. But sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress the positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type, a prefigure of the one who was to come in reverse, the former destructive, but the latter saving. Verse 15, remember, but God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many died, for if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence that followed the trespass of the one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification and act of righteousness. Verse 17:4, if or because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, which it did, it says much more, and here's the key, key again, much more surely, in other words, how sure was it that death reigned? Well, it was pretty sure. Through that one man's, nobody can doubt the fact that through that one man's sin, Adam's sin, that death began to reign. Everybody has great faith in that. But Paul said here, if you can have faith in that, he said, you should understand that much more surely, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and unmerited favor and the free gift of righteousness. Thank God it's free. Thank God. Putting them into right standing with himself, much more shall they reign now as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Hallelujah. And I mean, incredible verses. So Satan's the author of sickness. Now, having said that, like I said, I want to read this one thing. It says that disease did come as a result of original sin. If this is so, then listen, disease, we're talking about, everybody say disease. Disease, disease came as the result of original 
sin, Adam's sin, the first sin. If this is so, and it is, then diseases or sicknesses true remedy must be found in the redemption that Christ brought. Because if the issue is sin that brought disease, then the true remedy of disease is that which takes care of sin. Right? You with me? Which is the whole story of redemption to buy back, to pay whatever payment that was necessary, whatever ransom was due. As one writer puts it, disease is the physical penalty of iniquity. Disease is the physical penalty of iniquity. But remember, like Romans 5 says, it doesn't necessarily mean, you see, this is where, and oh, please hear this. We've got so many people today who are sick and we've got ministers digging into them about trying to find the hidden sin that's in them. That's the cause of this disease. It may not be the sin that's in them as much as it's the sin that's in the whole flipping world. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm trying to say? You have to understand that disease is here because iniquity is here. But, but now listen, this is really key. Disease is the physical penalty of iniquity. Since Christ has borne in his body all our physical liabilities on account of sin, our bodies are therefore released judicially, judicially from disease. Now I'm going to say it again until you get it. Since Christ has borne in his body all our physical liabilities that came on account of sin, because he dealt with sin. You do believe he dealt with sin, right? Since, I'm going to say it again, since Christ has borne in his body all our physical, the liabilities of sin. In other words, remember liability means the things that came because of sin. Since Christ has borne in his body all our physical liabilities on the account of sin, our bodies, therefore, must be released judicially from disease. And the reason I, I'm camping on that is because of the way Bosworth said judicially. In other words, legally, legally, you've been released. Through the, through the cross of Christ, through the faith in Christ, through the, through the redemptive work of Christ. Legally, you see, it's been paid for. Legally, you've been released from the penalties of iniquity, which included sickness and disease. Now, you've got to get that. Iniquities in this world, sin is in this world. Of course, if there's sin, known sin in your own lives, you're foolish not to want to deal with it because, of course, it can open doors. But, I mean, we're hoping that you have enough brains to understand that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That you're not, we, I'm praying that those of you that are in a Bible school, a Bible class, aren't people that are, you know, openly looking for new ways to sin and make mistakes and go against the ways of God. 
Now, this is why, again, we, we, we come before the Lord daily. We have a daily altar uh, that we come before the Lord and say, Father, you know, thank God today I am the righteousness of God. And if I have, if I have committed any sins, I race to my mediator and I say, Father, forgive me. And my Bible tells me God is instantaneous to forgive me. And it says, remember, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I mean, you got to love that. In other words, you confess known sin. And just because you're coming honestly with that, the Bible says God will cleanse you from all, any other unrighteousness that's in you. Because remember, you have had God's own righteousness deposited into your account. Remember, 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 in every class, we've got to hammer that home in this nation. You've been made, you've been declared righteous. Nobody here is righteous. And he knew, God knew that nobody here would live perfectly. This is why you've got to be, you know what the number one thing you've got to be delivered from is? You, yourself, and your old dumb way of thinking about how you have to come up to par. Listen, you will never do that. You've been declared righteous. And this is why you have to live by faith. I don't, you know, when I stand up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you are in right standing with God. I don't say it because I know I've done, been, you know, lived perfectly the day before. No, my Lord and Savior lived perfectly for me. And I'm getting to partake by faith of that relationship with God. But I'm telling you, this is why you do have to fight. It's fight the good fight of faith because of all the pressures that daily come against us to dictate to you about how unworthy you are and what a low-life worm you are and how undeserving you are because you are constantly reminded of the reasons that you aren't worthy. Because you know what? You aren't worthy. None of us are. You need to just settle that. Get it over with. You know, we're all a pile of stuff. <laughs> we're not worthy. We're not worthy. But we are nevertheless because of faith. This is what I'm, this faith, because we believed on the Lamb of God. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. So uh, that's just vital. So Satan, though, what we want to say now, we've got to finish this hour. And we're just going to stop by saying this again. Satan is the author of sickness and disease. You've got to get that straight. Satan is the author of sickness and disease. God is not the author. Uh, I'm going to just quote, get ahead of myself just as we finish this hour. I'm going to quote Acts 10:38. This down here on the page. Peter's testimony, and again, we, we can all quote this probably, but just think about the simplicity of the statement. Peter is sharing, and he makes a statement. He said, how God anointed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good. I mean, this guy is relating, walking with this man for three and a half years. He said, this guy went about doing good and healing all, all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. For God was with him. But the main thing that I want you to see is this. that He said, all that were oppressed of the devil. In any form, any way you want to look at it, sickness and disease is somehow in some way a form of original satanic oppression that continues to be available, unfortunately, to all of us on this earth. Okay?
You hear me? But I really want to, I just feel like I want to keep saying this thing about we all have some areas of sin in our life. None of us are perfect. If that was the qualification to be healed, nobody would ever be qualified. Jesus Christ healed multitudes, multitudes. He healed them all from all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Don't tell me they didn't have all manner of sin in their life, all manner of insanity in their thinking and craziness in their lives. But the point is, he came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to, rep, to, to, to present to the earth the perfect will of God in action. In Jesus' life, you see the perfect will of God. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only see what the Father tells, uh, I, only, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I mean, this is Jesus. He said, if you've, want, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Please keep hearing that. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Well, see Him. Please see Him. Everywhere He went, He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stop. Father, we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.